Well, hello and welcome back to Health is Power. This is part two of My Teen Hates Me. Ouch. Parenting a teen can be hard and lonely and being a teen can be hard and lonely. There's so much worry and uncertainty that's happening inside our beautiful young ones. And I said this before, it's coming from this natural push away from us into their independence, their strength. And they have relied on us for so many years and they're really trying to stand on their own two feet and they don't always know how to do it and we don't always know how to do it. it all starts with connection and you know being kind to yourself taking care of ourselves and then we're better able to take care of those people that we love so in the first part i talked about stepping into your sweet young people's shoes and really seeing the world from their perch and i really hope um, you took this as encouragement to think about what is life like as a teenager? What are they feeling like? And understanding that when they're angry, it's coming from that need to break away and also a lot of swirling chemicals and emotions that they haven't quite figured out how to settle. So working on a practice of empathy, being proactive rather than reactive and helping them melt away some of the anger coming your way. Learning how to take care of ourselves through these turbulent times is really key. I love this quote by Emily Popek. Parents' ability to foster resilience in our children hinges a great deal on our own emotional resilience. So in this part two, we're going to continue this rich and spicy topic from the perspective of your survival and self-care. All right, how much do you feel like these moments when they're angry is about you? Teenagers can say really hard things to hear and sometimes these statements are extreme, but there often is truth that makes them feel more painful. I know my son says things to me that I'm like, hmm, good point. <laughs> Maybe I should take a pause and think about that, right? They've spent their whole life as spectators. All the time we thought they were just going about their day playing, they're actually absorbing us. They're noticing and they're observing all the things that we do and how we navigate challenges and good days. So when they start to voice their opinions about us or even lash out, we need to work on not going to anger or feeling that they actually really do hate us because they don't, they love us. Although we should definitely interfere with hurtful behavior, you know, letting them know it's unacceptable if they cross the line and they're mean to us or other people. If we want our kids to deal with their feelings in healthier ways, I think we need to be open to their feedback. And sometimes that means hearing unpleasant things about ourselves. and. Hopefully it's a spiritual development for everybody involved. 
It also means taking them seriously when they no longer want us texting them 10 times a day or coming in and out of their room without knocking. We have to talk with them about what they feel is respectful and find a compromise that works for everyone. All right, number two, model a calm response and try so hard not to overreact. That can be a real challenge when our kids, who they still depend on us in so many ways practically, but they're pushing back from us emotionally. So I feel sometimes as a parent of a 17-year-old, I'm still cooking, I'm still doing all of these things to keep the house running, but they don't really want to spend time with me and it feels unbalanced and I sometimes don't feel very appreciated. I think the best thing that we can do is try valiantly to take that higher road in moments of anger or when we're feeling like, gosh, you know, it's a lot of give, give, give and not a lot of receptivity. The ultimate goal is finding a way to manage stress while still providing that grounded leadership and modeling for them. If we allow ourselves to get pulled into that swirl of adolescent emotion, we're gonna make things much worse. I overreact sometimes when my son rolls his eyes at me or says something in a certain tone of voice. I take it personally. And I think to myself, and maybe you do, I didn't raise you to act this way. What did I miss? Because I thought I did a good job, but who is this person in front of me? If we take every minor provocation personally, we're signaling to teens that they are so very powerful that their every move can destroy our day and that security of home base. This is not good for them. When a teenager's world becomes uncertain, they're seeking that security by testing us. And so when they lash out at us, they are implicitly asking you, can I still trust you to be strong? Are you gonna catch me? I have learned the way to say yes is to do a better job of not letting my son rile me up. And yes, this is hard. So gather all those tools you've ever used through your life to calm yourself during stress, fight or flight. Correct behavior that's intolerable and enforce rules that you've set, but don't engage if you find your heat rising. Tell your kid you need a minute and take a walk, go to a different part of the house, splash water on your face, you know, listen to some music, make some tea, whatever you need to do. But working on this internal monologue of I'm gonna be the calm one because it looks like my kid can't do that right now. If you're honest with yourself, do you sometimes then in that moment overstep boundaries or over control? I do. You know, I immediately go to a consequence. I'm going to take the Wi-Fi away or I'm going to come up with some penalty. When we start by assuming our kids are going to make bad choices and implementing restrictions that make them feel punished, and I think we can label a lot of what is natural developmental behaviors as bad or unacceptable when really they're learning how to go a little bit longer on that leash to take more freedom and manage it. If we label it as bad, we're teaching our kids to sneak around and hide from us. Dan Siegel, who's wrote, written some really incredible books on adolescent brain, wrote 
adolescents who are absorbing negative messages about who they are and what is expected of them may sink to that level instead of realizing their true potential. So it's hard advice to take, but sometimes we just have to let our kids be. We can still keep them safe by noticing their mood and understanding their activities, their friends, how they're doing in school, setting some important boundaries about things like drinking and driving or being out at certain times of night. If we make too many rules, it can sometimes go the other direction. And I think creating natural, realistic boundaries helps them feel secure and it also offers them that space and respect that they need to develop. All right, number three, put on your oxygen mask first. Carving out personal time it can feel like a burden or even indulgent when we're barely keeping it together and one day bleeds into the next. But when you're feeling the most anxious or stretched thin, it, it's much harder to be a loving parent and to stay level amid the chaos and be present for all the ways you're needed and want to give. It's really the time that you need self-care the most. So reorient and embrace those life-sustaining practices and habits. Your mind and your body are deeply intertwined to reinforce what you've always told your kids. Get a good night's sleep, get some sunshine, eat well, unplug, please. Find moments of pause and, and always be a little kinder than necessary and make that a goal. If you pay attention your body lets you know when you're tired and need to rest or need to sleep. Learning how to make these good choices for yourself will help keep you on a relatively even keel and of course model this for your children. And boy, what an important practice of life. Becoming independent means learning how to manage more and more of our own self-care. Number four, and this is so much a part of our world today, learn to recognize stress and anxiety in yourself and others. There's a specific set of sensations that occur when we're anxious. Our heart pounds, we sometimes have shortness of breath, dizziness, sweating. It's fight or flight response. It's designed to help us avoid danger. And it's often driving us when we lash out or retreat and driving them. When we snap at someone for no good reason, disappear behind our computer, or tip the power balance by forcing our views. Help your adolescent also to understand these natural sensations in their bodies and how they can learn to bring things quickly back to normal with simple kind of mental tools. And we have a lot of great resources in our resource library. Number five, ramp up your support system. You know, it's far from perfect, but when your kids are young, they're sort of a built-in tribe. If you're looking for it, and even sometimes when you're not, when kids are young, everybody seems ready to give you advice. When your kids become teens, the tribe kind of dissipates. I have had to be very intentional about ramping up my support system because it's been a uniquely isolating time. I know many of you feel perhaps like, gosh, you know, like I worked my tail off for the first 10 years. Can't I have a break? 
Do I really have to keep learning as a parent? Do I have to go to more workshops? And I think, yes, I would say consider it. This is the time when I need to pay the most attention. And just going and being with other people who are in the same stage can be really therapeutic and maybe a great outlet. Trying to see this phase in your teen's life as good for both of you and creating some separation for you to become your own person again and find your own passions and interests that stretch beyond your role as a parent just as, as they're trying to do the same. Number six, continue to be physically there. Even if the conversation is not flowing, it's important to be a calm and grounded presence around your teenager. They feel the support even if you're just sitting there in silence. Make efforts to connect, you know, hey, how was school today? I'm around if you want to watch a show later. Sometimes I don't get much more than a grunt or a not now, that's completely fine. It's tempting to remove myself, but I am really pushing to find ways to just be in the same space with them. And of course, it's very natural for them to want to tuck away at times. The idea is not pushing them to share their life, but also we're not giving up on them and we still love them and want to be around them. The research is very clear that teens care about spending time with their parents, even if they don't make it feel like they do. Opening that ability up, hanging out with them on a regular basis in this kind of calm and trustworthy manner, eventually can lead to moments of sharing. And you know, that starts with feeling comfortable with you and at home. I cannot emphasize enough how much our own behavior affects our children. If we're worried our kids won't be responsible, you know, hold a good job, find a nice relationship, the biggest thing that we can do is continue to demonstrate responsibility in our own actions. Behave in the ways that we respect and focus on having our own healthy relationships. And yes, this too shall pass as they establish themselves more as individuals, which doesn't really have a definitive timeline. You know, we know that adolescence goes into the low 20s. Everybody is telling me that <laughs> they will be warming up to their parents again. Their brains are evolving, they're learning how to regulate their emotions better, and everything feels a little less intense. I am so lucky to often have a pack of young men and women roaming around my house and they just give me such magic. They provide wonderful, interesting conversations. They're human beings, they have love, they're caring and have so much enthusiasm for the world. Just keep looking for that, you know, see, see them through those eyes and they might surprise you. And one day when they have teenagers of their own, we all really hope that they're going to call and ask, oh my God, was I ever like this? Um, I can tell you that I gave my parents a run for their money. The past two years, I have really worked on this and I had a lot of work to do about letting go of control. And I would say that I have really improved my approach and my relationship with my son. And I think I owe it to two key things. 
He is wise and strong in his opinions, and thankfully, he tells me what he thinks about things, and he's holding me accountable, and I'm learning to allow him to point things out to me and to incorporate change. And I think that I also have carved out time to find myself again, spending more time focused on the internal parts of me rather than the external and getting really clear about the idea that life, it really comes down to loving well, staying connected, and being as even as I can, in, importantly, in, in the hardest of times. So I'm so, so thankful that in the end, my experience as a mother, in its greatest essence, is about becoming a better person, loving well, and sometimes excruciatingly more adaptable. I have to admit that with all the slights, hot moments between us, giving, giving, giving as a mother, I do hold out some hope for Mark Twain's famed quote on adolescence coming true. He says this, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. There's a great New York Times article covering a therapist who uses glitter jars to provide a visual image of what the emotional swirl acts and feels like in the teenage brain. I find this imagery very useful. Be patient and communicate your confidence that those emotions almost always rise, swirl, and settle all by themselves. It's really critical to recognize that when we overreact to the psychological distress, as though it's a fire that needs to be put out, we're frightening our teenagers and we're often making matters worse. Reacting instead with the understanding that these emotions usually have their own life cycle. They come as waves that surge and fall. That's gonna help the adolescent to have this reassuring message. They're not, they're not broken. In fact, they're self-correcting. So when you next encounter a young person in full meltdown, take a deep breath and think to yourself, hmm, first, let's settle that glitter. And remember, you are finite and limited as a human, and that's okay. Just love them up, love them up. Thanks so much for diving into this with me. I am 100% with you, and I hope you will consider me a part of your ongoing tribe. I will see you on the flip side. <laughs>